it's clearly going to be a wave here because we know live streaming is popular, particularly in gaming, but coupled with the, that automatic nature of being able to buy instantly within live streaming, that's been kind of the key in China. And I think that's coming here. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your hosts, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves. Welcome back to the Creative Disruption Podcast, where we've been on hiatus for a little bit, but we are back in fold, and I'm joined by my friend, my cohort, Ricky Ray Butler. How you doing, brother? I'm doing fantastic. I'm, I'm glad to finally be here. It's great that we finally, you know, got to teach you how to use Zoom. <laughs> I, 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 I won't say how many times it took you to get on the Zoom call, but it's okay, my brother. I, I'm just... I'm actually glad to be be back because, uh, like, I know you and I, we talk a lot about industry stuff, and it's been great. And there's been a lot of things happening in the news. And I just want to just let everyone out there listening or watching to know, like, we're going to be a lot more active, and we're going to be uh, not necessarily recording them in batches. We're going to actually do it very consistently, so we'll be more relevant. Don't you want to be more relevant, Ricky? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. like, there are times where we would literally record six different, like, episodes in one yeah, day. Like, and then, like, three content. months later, we're still talking about, you know, stuff that were, you know, really relevant. Yeah. Us going to the live format, I think, is going to be great, which I think we'll be starting the next two weeks, right? Yeah, no, really, really excited about that. But, you know, we have to talk about some of the stuff that's in the news. And I'm telling you, um, there's like an app that I've been predicting for the last two years. And we can go back on this podcast and you can see in different <laughs> articles that I would say it'd be the number one app. And I think it's going to just really absorb Generation Z and, and you know, even millennials and it's that TikTok thing, you know, and <laughs> I don't know, are you, have you been on it as of late? Are you? Of course, of course. Like we do, I'm getting we do sucked into this micro content, man. It is like so bad. I'm just, I find myself like just swiping up and swiping yeah. to the left and tapping. And oh, for sure. But also when it comes to discovery, I think, you know, they have a very sophisticated algorithm or algorithms when it comes to discovery. Right. And I actually think when it comes to discovery, you know, they're the biggest competitor to, um, YouTube. Um, I, I, I can literally spend hours watching puppy videos on TikTok. I, I never imagined that happening. Wait, wait, wait. Are you seriously, you watch the puppy video? Oh, of course. I mean, we're, we're, we're right now and getting, <laughs> we're getting ready to get a puppy, you know, for the family. And, and uh, we're going to get a mini um, um, golden doodle. Okay. But, so it, it's anticipating your puppy purchase. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, I don't I, I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, like you know, I just love to deep dive into algorithms and try to figure out. And I've never seen a predictive engine as uh, as accurate as the TikTok engine. Um, and the the engagement and all the stuff that it does is almost kind of scary that it's anticipating exactly what you want. Uh, where you know algorithms like YouTube, you have to kind of put enough in your watch history to know exactly what you're doing. Um, I definitely, we, I think we should definitely have someone on, uh, you know, in the future uh, to talk about that because I, I'm yeah. super interested in it. And I know to me, it's like my kids are spending a lot less time, you know, on YouTube and more time on TikTok and the yeah. shareability yeah. factor is just impactful. It's like quickly share whatever social platform or on, on text. And it really pulls them back into something. It's almost like a, it's that micro content. It's like more meant for the meme sure. generation. Um, and it's just like really quick memes, really quick stories that are there. And 
too much dancing from my point of view. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But, but it's diversifying, you know, big time. But, you know, I, I find myself, you know, using YouTube more about still using a lot of TikTok. I mean, I kind of use both platforms for different purposes. But, you know, what it comes down to is it's, it's in a way decentralized, you know, how to create a movement. So yeah. beginning stages of YouTube, you could get a viral video. Very easy to get a viral video training and going everywhere. Same thing happened with Facebook. Now with TikTok, it's different because it's not just like creating a viral video, but it's more of a I mean, creating a movement, um, yeah. you know, across a variety of people, across a variety of influencers, as well as people that aren't influencers that don't have huge followings. And, um, you know, we, we worked on a, a campaign where, you know, one of these um, uh, movements, you know, ended up, you know, getting like 20 billion views. And, and, and it's still going today and it's still kicking and still, you know, I'm gaining momentum. And so it's really one of those times where it kind of levels the playing field and, and it makes it so brands or creators or, or anyone that wants to accomplish something um, exciting or, or, you know, with, with a positive message or do something that's really fun, um, you know, they can really get something going and, and make it so it explodes. Yeah, I, I think it's really fascinating. And I think that when uh, these other people like Instagram and YouTube are looking at the platform, they don't see what the magic really is. And I, I think that, you know, with the introduction of Reels and YouTube Shorts, the component that they're really missing is you're taking the music or the sound. And, and that's, what, that's what usually makes things trend is the sound and the engagement and the hashtags and getting on the, yeah. the For You page. And like that, that little component of the creation I feel like makes uh, TikTok its own thing that it's going to be hard to create unless you have those, um, you know, deals with the, you know, the you know, music publishers and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah. at the end of the day, that's where the magic really is. You know? Well, show me one music artist today that isn't leveraging TikTok to gain momentum with their, with their new like song launch. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, you know, like, I mean, I mean, I mean, Justin Bieber is on there. I mean, um, all the hip hop artists are on there. I mean, um, everyone is leveraging this platform because, you know, there really is a correlation between TikTok and getting people excited about music as well as, you know, um, you know, um, pushing, you know, a music video that that's on YouTube. Yeah. And it's also interesting to see, you know, a lot of the nostalgia, you know, come up, like, you know, I, I believe like, you know, you have, you know, um, like Beetlejuice, you know, yep. um, you know, the, the broader show, you know, resurged as a result of TikTok. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, yeah. It's just amazing. I like it's so amazing. Um, I just I gotta say a little story here because it's like yeah. something that um, you know that you don't know the power of it. But I think a lot of new artists are going to be coming up, like getting their sound, their creation out there. Because when people use it, it's like literally uh, persuading them to buy and like, oh, I really love this, or I'm really engaging yeah. with this, whatever. Uh, but you know, Mr. Beast, um, I'm actually in his office right now. But it's like. When he uh, decided to go on TikTok, he's like, oh, this is cool. Let's just go do a sound. We'll do a giveaway. And it was literally breaking TikTok because everybody was doing it because of other motives. And mm -hmm. TikTok says, please take that down. Please delete it out. You know, <laughs> so he did. But and, and they fixed algorithms to to anticipate stuff like that. But, you know, I think no. it's like a new frontier. And what I love about it, it has the feel where the average person can create content and bring out their creativity sure. in a way that we haven't seen yet. 
And I think the short form content, I think the meme generation of short form content is where the industry is shifting. Yeah. And longer form contract uh, content, um, unfortunately, I think is going to be dying off in, you know, every year it's just going to get less and less because people don't want to sit through a three hour video yeah. or a three hour, you know, a three hour movie. I mean, they will for certain things. Don't get me wrong. They'll well, binge watch like stranger things. Thing. There's going to be different content for different purposes, but we do know that the trend for the last 10 years or 10 plus years is to, com- is to consume as much good content as quickly as possible. And especially with Gen Z, you know, that, that is what's happening. But one thing that's, I mean, I mean, I think that's worth talking about is impact and that, yeah. that can be a result of, of TikTok. Um, early on, you know, people sometimes question, you know, algorithms on new platforms where there's, you know, a lot more virality that's happening. Um, but with TikTok, there is a, a, a lot of people on there and it's all very organic and it's very strong. Um, you know, we've we worked with clients, um, you know, in the in the um, oral care business to other types of brands where we've seen a huge lift in retail sales as a result of, of launching a TikTok campaign. And so it's one of the platforms where we are really putting a lot of resources and investment in, especially around AI, because there's so much going on. It's, it's breaking all the records of growth compared to all the. I've other never seen it. And, and, but, but, but it's also a place where you can drive sales. And so with that, you know, we should probably talk about Teespring and the partnership yeah. with Teespring. I don't know if you're familiar with um, TikTok's sister company or platform that's also owned by ByteDance, um, Doing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Doing, you know, very similar, you know, um, um, platform where you can create, you know, you know s- similar content. Um, but it's also a hub for e-commerce. And yeah. there's... Um, thousands of, of influencers and, and people that are you know, um, making a lot of money with driving sales on that platform. And so when I saw that announcement with Teespring, I got really excited because, you know, there could be a time where we can start modeling ways of driving conversions um, when, you know, through the platform, um, you know, when working with creators on TikTok. I mean, it'd be like the micro QVC, right? It's yeah. like, here you can jump on. And the cool thing about it too, is their live you functionality. YouTube already, but yeah. it's be very interesting to see how it works on TikTok. Well, no, but the difference on YouTube, it, it's, it's awkward. Like literally it's awkward. It's not integrated right because it's like, you know, don't get me wrong. I love the engineers at YouTube and they're doing the best that they possibly can, but it's beneath the video. It's on a shelf, right? In TikTok, in the way that they're going to get engaged, it's going to be more like QVC, click this button and buy. I mean, that's the whole thing right there. Yeah. And whether you can go on live or the micro video content, I think it's going to be really super powerful oh, yeah. uh, just because that will bring a, a level of intimacy. And I, and I do mean that with your audience that they will want to buy instead of saying doing a call out. It's just kind of just down below. Oh yeah. There there's the shirt, but it's more, they're creating content around how can we get people to actually purchase our merch? So uh, super interesting. So I think we need to get to what happened. Um, Daryl, did you see what happened with like Travis Scott and McDonald's this last yeah, week? Uh, I mean, insane. You no, know, like where, you know, they came out with unique merch. I mean, um, we, we've pitched that a lot to our clients and we haven't had a lot of that stick, but with this new, you know, opportunity on TikTok, I think we're going to be seeing this sort of thing happen a lot more. Um, no, I, there's going to be new merch lines. They're going to sell out quickly and people are going to be watching as much content as possible. And it's also going to, you know, hopefully, you know, create a pattern where people are watching that content to also shop and purchase. 
Well, I, I mean, the issue that I've always had with TikTok, and we've addressed this, you know, in past podcasts, and even with VPs that are that work with TikTok, um, I had one really in depth conversation about a year and a half ago in um, Singapore. But when we were actually discussing, it's like, okay, monetization, because at the end of the day, you know, to level up your content creator, they need to make money, they need to be able to do this full time. And they're like, hey, well, the way that we do it is different, you know, we'll actually create a fund, which they have, uh, and, and start, you know, giving money back to the creators that are helping them. But I think this play right here, this play is going to be bananas. It's going to literally make the best for the platform and the creator. Exactly. It's going to just make it go bananas. And I think it's going to make it more appealing that, that I, I believe that IGTV and Instagram's need to pay really close attention. I think Facebook's needed it close, really, really attention, but more importantly, YouTube, you know, cause like that's where the young eyeballs are going. Um, yeah. The young eyeballs would rather spend time right now on a Mr. Beast video or, and, or, you know, anything on TikTok. And so it's just like, that's, that's kind of their place. I got, you know, for uh, boys and a, and a girl and all of them, they'd rather spend their time on TikTok, uh, TikTok now instead of, you know, where their favorite creator was on, yeah. on, yeah. on YouTube. No, no, that's amazing. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to see that, that, that pattern change because I don't think that has happened as much with the other platforms. Yeah. Um, no. Vine, Snapchat, or, 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 or Instagram, you know, no one replaced YouTube, but right now it seems like there is a bigger trend of, um, 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 different. Um, I mean, I mean, the Gen Z of wanting to go and and spend more time on another platform. It's got to be something that is, is, is scary to Google. But I also think you know, it's a. I mean, um, in a way, TikTok is going to become a threat to Amazon. I mean, it's, it, the future is. I, but I think that's a. There's a good chance. It, it depends on who's going to acquire it. I I just think you know, is if it Microsoft or whoever, it doesn't matter. I mean, we can go into that in, in another time. But I think it, it, it all depends in the next coming months of the direction it's going to go. But from a content creator standpoint, it is one of the most disruptive, uh, you know, new platforms I've seen ever. Um, it just is super engaging, super addictive, um, super fun uh, to really bring your creativity. I think the editing suite that they actually have in the, the platform is amazing. Uh, Ricky, let's switch gears here because like yeah. you and I, we love to travel. And you always like when I go out in a different country, I'm like, hey, Ricky, I, I literally will pick up my, my phone and I'll text you. I'm like, hey, Ricky, where's the best place to go eat in Prague? And you always give me... <laughs> the best things. And you always like take pictures with your food. You always record food. And like, I, I think if we go back to our text chains, there's more pictures of food that we're sharing than <laughs> even pictures of our family. I don't know why that is. But do you want to, do you want to do a little intro for our, yeah. uh, our guest today? Well, no, I remember a while back that there was a, a new MCN that, that, that was launched. And I remember just thinking, wow, well, I, there's definitely an MCN bubble. I don't know how well this is going to do, but it was an MCN that was focused around food. And, and um, I, I just assumed that this company was just going to represent influencers and creators that, you know, had food channels um, or, you know, um, did DIY around food, et cetera. And um, I was completely wrong. They ended up being a major um, empire of content, um, Tastemade, um, where they, you know, started out, I think, representing some channels, but then they ended up just creating their own content and just doing it amazingly well. Um, where I think today um, they have 2.5 billion um, um, viewers a month and over 300 million active users. And so 
I'm really excited to introduce my friend, you know, who's a pioneer in the space, um, Larry Fitzgibbon. Larry, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. Thank you. Really, uh, really glad to be on the podcast. Yeah. You know, I mean, you've, you've accomplished so much, um, you know, in, with, with content and in our community. Um, I would love to hear kind of like your background story of like what inspired you to start um, Taste Made and, and what made it so successful. Yeah, thanks for for asking. Um, you know, I started the company with my, my two co-founders, Joe Perez and Stephen Kidd. The three of us were part of the founding team of another internet media company that started way back in 2006. Um, we were three of six co-founders of a company called Demand Media, which, you know, we, we grew from six people to 600, took it public on the New York Stock Exchange. It was, you know, it was a really exciting ride. But about a year after that, the three of us left, started to think about you know, really what we kind of wanted to do with our lives. And we kind of thought about two things. Um, one was, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to do a startup and you're going to go through all the pain and anguish of what that means, pick stuff you love. Sounds like you guys love what we love. You know, the, the notion of coming to work every day, thinking about food or talking to your friend or a creator about the next travel space they want to go to, um, or, you know, just kind of our love for, you know, home and design, those were all passion categories for us. So, you know, those are easy things to get up in the morning to go, you know, think about because, you know, startups really do start to take up most of your headspace. And then the second was some of the things that you were talking about. But again, if you go back to 2012, you know, things that were really of the moment, which were these big trends that were about to happen in media, things like social and mobile and video and now kind of the instantly global world that we live in. And we thought if we could put those two kind of interests or passions together, that it would be a big idea. And, you know, as, as Ricky kind of talked about, it has turned into that, right? We've done a really good job over the years of really defining this brand and really building a big audience globally. And it's been, you know, a really fun ride for us all. What, what I, I've been a super fan of content. Like I, I like see certain content. I'm like, oh, who made this or who who's doing this? And I like to dig deep and I go down these little rabbit holes all the time, Larry. And when I found your stuff, I'm like, there's like a pattern. Like you guys, you got the pattern of feed driven content. I'm like, there's a lot of people that don't get that. And I'm like, man, this is good. It's engaging. I, I, I mean, I can sit and watch it. I don't even need to turn on sound. I mean, it's like one of these great, great things. And I re- started to realize that you actually had a, a pattern of release and you're like leveraging the algorithm in a certain way and you're like building an audience and then you're cross-promoting. I mean, I'm seeing all these details. Most, most people are just watching the video. <laughs> but what I, what I was the most impressed with is your anticipation of what the viewer wanted to watch. Um, you know, and, and could you, could you just take a minute, like when you're going into it, you started out and I know things modify as you're getting more data and as you're bringing new brands on and you're featuring new different products and so on. But like, talk to us about the the process of where you went from uh, curating content or, or being an MCN to creating your own content. I, I'm really fascinated on that. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, the, I know I listened to the podcast, so I know a little bit of kind of what you guys cover over, over time. And you, you talk, I like to talk a little bit of some YouTube lore. So I'll, I'll, I'll give some now. Um, you know, you probably you remember, you know, kind of back in the 2010, 2011 era, 
YouTube was, you know, they, they came out with that big creator fund. You were just talking about it a second ago, how TikTok is now attempting to do that. But YouTube came out and said, hey, we're going to put $200 million into the ecosystem. Um, and at our last company, we were, we, we, we were uh, successful in securing some of that. And then when we were starting Tastemade, we went back to, you know, our, our friends at YouTube, uh, Alex and Robert, and said, hey, we're about to start this new thing. You know, do you have any money, any, any more of that money left? Um, and we were very fortunate that they, they did. They, they saved a little bit for us. So when we started the company, we actually started it with both things in mind. You, you mentioned the curation and the MCN. That was certainly part of it because at the time, that was the only way you could really scale audience, right? And, and so that's why we were thinking in those terms. But the other was we really did want to be a creator of content from the beginning and really build our own brand. And I think, as Ricky, as you were talking a second ago, I think that's why we are here and maybe some of those others aren't here is because they just had a different mindset. They weren't really trying to build a consumer brand. They really were you know, trying to be an aggregator. And from day one, we, we wanted to do both. Um, and so I think, you know, it's funny when you make choices like that or, you know, when you decide why you're going to start something, you know, when you look back, you end up kind of doing what you thought you were going to do, you know. Um, and if you pick a good thing, it's good. If you pick a bad thing, it can be bad, too. But I think that part was um, important for us. And so as we thought about I think that, I'm sorry, Larry, like that right there is the reason exactly why you're still in business and why everybody went away. Because they went for the greed. It's more about, oh, we need to acquire more and more and more people. And you're thinking, no, 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 no. The longer play is, yes, we have our own vertical and we're, we're creating content in a very engaging way. And if we amplify it with the content that we know is going to work, that we don't need to talk to a creator. We can actually create it based off the data. Boom. I mean, that's that's a sustainable model that will actually be perpetual, you know, where this one, they have to encourage the creators to create content and you're actually uh, creating better well, content than most creators. No, no, no one's going to be happy if you're representing that many, um, you know, um, content creators, you know, there's a good chance that it's going to be hard to retain them. And it's also going to be a good chance that it's going to be hard to figure out who do you represent, you know, the content creator or um, the, the brand. But with, you know, with Tastemade, I mean, you know, you, you obviously saw that creating content was the future. You optimized that and you scaled it. And I mentioned earlier that you guys became like this empire of content. And, and when, I, when I say that, I mean that literally. I mean, <laughs> you, you've been done really well on YouTube. You've done really well on Facebook and, and across all of the, the different social platforms. But you've become very cross-platform outside of social where, you know, you have a very strong presence when it comes to SVOD and all those different platforms, as well as when it comes to television. I mean, you, you are across almost every platform out there. And so with that said, you know, we were talking about TikTok early on. Um, have you guys started to, to start creating content on TikTok? And can you explain to us maybe some of your, um, I guess, goals um, with some of these new up and coming platforms? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, the, um, we, we are on TikTok very successfully, actually. We've been, and, and around the world, as you would imagine. As, as you mentioned, uh, one aspect of being an empire is that you're global, I think. And, you know, Tastemates creating content in about seven different languages. We have studios, physical studios around the world where we're creating original programming in, in native language for each of these markets. And so, yes, we, we embrace TikTok pretty early on. Um, and we've seen some great success there. So, you know, if you go follow the Tastemade channel, I think it has over a million followers. Uh, we also have a channel called, and I think this one will be fun to talk about. We have a channel called Tiny Kitchen. 
And this is where it kind of gets to the data. And actually kind of it comes, its origins come from, from what was happening on YouTube. One of the insights that we found on YouTube pretty early on was, um, and this was because we were kind of curating people from around the world, was this phenomenon in Japan where people were making all these videos with tiny things in them, right? They, they might do tiny food. They, they weren't really doing tiny food, but they, you, were, you would see them doing, you know, these miniature things. Um, and it was really fascinating and it had sort of like, they would, you know, oftentimes there were no people. You would just hear this sort of sing-songy music. And it was just an amazing format, right? And an amazing format that was native to YouTube, native to the internet. And so we kind of saw what, what some of those people were doing and said, wow, that would be really interesting. What if we applied that to our category, um, which was food? And so we created Tiny Kitchen. Um, and for that, what we did was we actually made a physical tiny kitchen and then we make miniature food to scale. So we might do a mushroom risotto recipe, um, but we, when we do it in tiny form, we'll, we present the recipe in, you know, tiny, tiny uh, mushroom risotto scale. So it's really fascinating. It's really fun to watch. It was you, Larry. It was you. You actually, I went down a rabbit hole for like three weeks thanks to that. <laughs> I went to Larry's um, um, studio and, you know, he, he, he gave me a tour around everything and to see what they do from a production standpoint when it comes to tiny kitchen is just fascinating. Like it's, it's all just very real. Everything's like miniature. And, and there's like, you see like eight people <laughs> all around this little set trying to, you know, just trying to get happen. It's do, the, do the cooking. No, yeah. I, I literally went down a rabbit hole for two weeks. It's no exaggeration. I'm like, this is just like fascinating. And I was like really looking at like the cinematography of that micro, you know, level of, of recording. And I thought it was like super interesting, especially, um, you know, when you're like, you'd actually do the cooking and like everything was like super small. And I, I don't know, I pretty much lost two weeks of my life. But well, we're sorry for that. You and you and uh, I think that that content's been viewed over a billion times, just, just tiny <laughs> kitchen franchise. So you're not, you're not the only one. Okay, good. good and good. it's on every platform, but back to your question, Daryl, it really was data driven, right? That's what led us to that format was one really understanding, you know, what was working, where there was really meaningful engagement as we were studying the broader ecosystem. And then also format, as you guys know, formats are so important because people do fall in love, you know, with specific formats and they want to, they want to come back to that thing they like and expect. And if you can deliver consistency on that, that's really, you know, one of the keys to really building audience. And so that's a franchise that we have on all platforms. Larry, can I, can I just, it on just really quick, just really quick. Cause I think there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that there are content creators or they're in charge of their marketing budget. But what you just said is literally the secret to audience development. Like that statement that you just made of really understanding programmable formatting where people expect a certain thing in a certain way and they want to be unique. They want to push the envelope and they were doing all this other stuff and it disconnects with what people fell in love with the original content for. And then you, you wonder why there's so much attrition. Uh, you know, people come in, they view, and then there's attrition on the back end. They stop watching the videos is because they're not getting what you promised them of what they subscribed to or engaged with or followed with, which is that programmable content. And I think that right there, I just like, for me, um, I'm just adamant about it. I, I, you know, when I work with my clients or my students, I'm like, this is the key to that. It's like having a predictable way 
to present content that you know will be engaged in that specific way. So well, it's important for creating content and to create that programming and, and that brand um, for both, I think, you know, creators and brands, but from a brand perspective as well, when they're wanting to collaborate with content creators like Tastemade or other, you know, content creators out there, it's really important to be data-driven and to make sure when you're doing a collaboration that you're being consistent with the programming. That if anything, you're empowering the programming, um, um, and but you're not distracting from it. And a lot of times, you know, and we talked about this before, where sometimes brands want to come and they want to change things up or mix things up, and and um, that can be detrimental to to a campaign when working with creators if you're not, you know, following, you know what's been making, I mean, if you're not following the data, that which is what's been making them successful in the first place. Yeah, that's why sometimes we will take a franchise that and sort of liberate it from our channel. Um, you know, that is one of the challenges, you know, Daryl, the, the challenge you're describing is very real, right? That we've been successful in building audience, but what you're saying applies to us as well, right? Um, in part because we are a brand that has many shows. And as you know, right, uh, particularly, it, it a little bit depends on the platform, Success really is kind of having one show and then really, again, consistently doing that. And so that's why in some instances we've shaved off some of these shows and kind of liberated them and, you know, gave them their own channels. So that's why on TikTok, the, the, the Tiny Kitchen channel has its own channel as opposed to trying to nest that under Tastemade is because we know that there's an audience that specifically is interested in that show. And not everybody that comes to Tastemade maybe loves that show as much as them. And so that's some of the choices and balances we've had to make as we've developed the Tastemade brand, but then obviously we have show brands beneath it. We have to think about that every time. Is this something that goes with the core or should we liberate it and give it its own channel as an example? Yeah, well, Larry, you know, you've been able to, you know, obviously do things in a very innovative way and you guys have led with innovation and have been able to really adapt, you know, the, to the changing world of the platforms and the content. Um, what do you think is the future? of, you know, content creation I, I'm from, you know, your perspective at Tastemade, but also just in general. I mean, what are some new patterns and trends that you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, the, ra the rate of change is pretty incredible, right? And, and it is hard to keep up. And particularly, you, you, you know, it does force people like us or companies like us or even creators, right, who have limited resources to really adapt to this new world, which isn't always easy. The thing that's so stunning to me, right, is we're now seeing like there is no more, you know, oh, put content on Instagram, right? I mean, there's four different video formats on Instagram alone, and they're totally different, right? They, the, the way that the, the platform um, uh, exposes that content, the way consumers are interacting with that content, what they expect from each different format is fundamentally different. And so, you know, there's sort of a game within a game as I sort of think about it is you, you really need to understand the differences of all those different platforms and then really know, know how to exploit each of them. And for some people or for certain companies, that, that's maybe just a bridge too far, right? That's just too much complexity to deal with. Um, as you mentioned, we're sort of set up for that, right? That's, that's exactly what we do. Um, generally what we do is, 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 again, I've heard this, you guys talk about this before, is just get there early, right? That we kind of pride ourselves on being first. That's sort of a part of who we are. Um, and I think the platforms look to us to be first with them. Um, but getting out there early, but smartly, right? You don't want to over, over, you know, do too much. We can get out there with a little bit of content, um, get some testing going and really start to understand it before we over invest, right? 
you know. I, I think that right there is is the key because I think a lot of people are like, I'm not going to spend so much time developing a new strategy for this platform that may or may not take off. And that's a that's a detriment uh, to a lot of people's growth because when when you really at the end of the day look at what's actually happening, that could be the next big thing of where everything shifts. And you you said two two uh, very interesting points. You're going to do it. You're going to be like one of the first ones there, but you're going to test to see if the content works and actually have a strategy. And that's where most people they just literally regurgitate everything that they ever done. You know, with everything, oh, we can we can cross pollinate it. We can put it, uh, this content on every little thing, and it just doesn't work that way. It's not meant to be consumed that way. Like even like you said on Instagram, like there's like four to five different delivery mechanisms to get to that that viewer, right? And at the end of the day, each one of them is a different experience. And if you if you if it's disjointed, they're never going to follow. They're never going to subscribe. They're never going to you know engage with it the same way if it was meant to 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 live and breathe on that platform. Now. There's certain styles of videos that could be repurposed, but you need to look at the full viewing experience of why people are actually coming on the platform and why they're engaging with it. And so, I mean, I, I love that. Um, what was some of the early takeaways when you're actually doing this? When you, I don't know if it was musically when you were coming on um, at that time, you know, or if it was uh, TikTok, but how did you do your toe in the water campaign to just say, okay, will this actually work on this new platform? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the particularly in the beginning, and I think this has waned a little bit, but but the hashtags were kind of a key way to get exposure in the early days, right? Um, you know, creating content that was sort of on trend and or attaching, again, for us, we have such a large library and we're in evergreen category, um, categories. Uh, we can test without necessarily having to go shoot a whole new video necessarily. And so we could kind of see what was happening with with um, you know, kind of communities building up around hashtags and trends around specific hashtags, and we could kind of jump on those. I think there's a little less, you know, I think that's probably a little less effective today than it than it was um, before. The other thing is, you know, when you think about the audiences, you know, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of the the audience on on TikTok are people that are also on Snapchat, right? They're they're or on they're the younger people on Instagram, and so. You know, Tastemate is huge on both Instagram and on Snapchat. You know, again, talking about being first, when Snapchat Discover launched, there were 20 partners and, you know, uh, Tastemate was one of those first partners, right? And so we've been programming natively to Snapchat on Discover since 2015. And so that's enabled us to build just a massive audience there. And so I think there was also just familiar, familiarity with our brands because it was sort of a similar audience. It was younger, younger people. Uh, back, back to one of the questions that Rick, R- Ricky Ray mentioned a second ago was just, you know, some other trends. Obviously, TikTok's a massive trend, but the, the other thing you guys were talking about was live streaming commerce. Um, you know, we have um, uh, some audience in China. Uh, we've been testing live stream commerce in China because it really is a massive phenomenon. Uh, we've been testing live stream commerce in China because it really is a massive phenomenon there. It's, it's most people here in the United States just simply don't know that much about it or paying much attention, um, starting to roll that type of product out. It, it's clearly going to be a wave here because we know live streaming is popular, particularly in gaming, but coupled with the, that, that flexibility or, or not, not so much flexibility, but that automatic nature of being able to buy instantly within live streaming, that's been kind of the key in China. And I think that's coming here. So that's a big trend that I think is going to be interesting to watch over the next year or so. I, I agree with you 100%. 
Um, actually, I mean, I mean, before we like we go into, I mean, go into the, I like to call it the live stream war, because yeah. we were talking about the streaming wars between Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and all those platforms. But um, as a result of quarantine, you know, we've seen so much more engagement when it comes to live streaming um, on, on the different social platforms. And it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, who wins. And I think um, whichever platform is the most optimal when it comes to, you know, live purchasing um, is probably going to be the platform that ends up, you know, being the most successful and, and is going to get the most engagement. Um, and I always thought that was going to be Instagram, to be honest with you, just because it was meant yeah. is like, okay, this is going to be QVC, but I, I think TikTok's it. I really do. It's just like when you get an average person that can actually make money at this and it, yeah, I think Instagram can uh, have a subset of, of an audience, but it's a very narrowed audience. Like you're either in fitness or beauty or whatever, you know, that's what it is. But TikTok's everyone. Like literally yeah. you can go down any rabbit hole, whatever. I think that's going to be the, the true key. If they can, if they can figure it out. And I think this uh, Teespring test is the key. Sure. But if they can figure it out. And then two, if I was Amazon, I would have like literally offered every dollar that I possibly could to integrate. Cause that would have been a perfect um, mix between TikTok and, and, and Amazon. But I just don't see that happening. It's really interesting. And it'll be interesting, you know, if, um, the different platforms are, you know, different for different industries or, and, you know, or maybe more optimal for specific industries. Like what we're seeing right now when it comes to charities and, and, and getting donations um, and increasing, you know, um, donations um, um, through influencer communities. Um, we're noticing that it's Twitch and, and Google Live. I mean, excuse me, YouTube Live, not Google Live. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, Twitch and, and YouTube Live are the two that are, are doing the best when it comes to conversions. So, it, but it is going to be very interesting to see which one is the first one to go mainstream or if that ever even happens. Yeah, but the, the, but the difference is, Ricky, and this is the truth, it's like that's what they've been doing. They've been donating on Twitch since day one. Like that was their monetization model, right? It's like you're donating well, to your favorite Not creator. necessarily. There's other platforms that you can leverage. And no, no, no I, 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 see, I know what you're saying, but I'm just saying that when when the audience, that's they're already used to it, it's easier to have them purchase, right? But there hasn't been one that it's like, here's, here's a shopping system. Um, and we probably should have Dave Lazar on because he has some, some of the most amazing tech I've ever seen with this, um, which is blending Shopify. I want, I want Shopify to win the Amazon war. I would rather have a Shopify because it's like third party. You can either self-fulfill or whatever. It doesn't, it, you can own the data. But it's like taking that live experience and bringing it in. And, you know, it is working right now on, on Instagram and some other stuff. I, if I owned a company, I would just buy his company and just integrate it in and then just give the, the power to the creator where, here, you do your own fulfillment instead of saying, okay, you have to use a Teespring because they're a certified, you know, third party, you know, whatever. Um, and I, I think that's where it is because your biggest YouTube channels right now that are on the platform that sell the most, they're not using Teespring to fulfill. And they, there's only a handful of providers that they'll allow to do it, but they still like the one that we're using for Mr. Bass is Shopify. Like that, that sure. 100%. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, um, it, it's, uh, to me, it's very exciting 
that live streaming is finally in the West becoming more and more mainstream. And I think has a long ways to go, but it's gonna be exciting to see what happens. You know, um, Larry, you mentioned, you know, China before and how this is something that is mainstream that everyone's doing. Um, China is so far ahead in so many different ways, you know, when it comes to delivery services or when it comes to, um, you know, um, the adoption of new content. Um, but what is interesting is, you know, one thing that, you know, I learned when I was in China last year was that supposedly, and again, I can't validate these numbers and I haven't looked at the spreadsheets, but, you know, there's, there's articles that reference this, I, I believe in China, but supposedly, you know, Alibaba, um, you know, spent over a billion dollars on just content creators and influencers to drive sales. And, we don't see brands spending that level of money right now in this community, but we all know that there's going to be a shift. The media world right now, um, when it comes to you know, the, the media industry, it's over a hundred and, and I believe like 90 billion dollars, or it was in 2019. And influencer was like around like 10 billion. We're gonna be seeing all those dollars shift over. And I think live streaming could be a big reason why, because it's going to force all brands, both that are startups, that are fast growing, but also Fortune 50 companies, they're all going to have to learn how to attribute sales. Yeah, and I think that's... Long Street might be that channel to do that. Yeah, that's the key. I think it's the, the two things. One, hey, Daryl, you were mentioning. Hi, Jimmy. Come say hi. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> we can't, I can't see your face. Yeah, here. So I like literally invaded his office. Yeah. How are you doing, brother? What important stuff are we talking about? Hey, hey, hey. We, we need to have you back on, but Daryl doesn't want to invite you again. Uh, I, oh, are you doing the podcast right now? <laughs> <laughs> Give us some words of wisdom. Um, make good videos. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, well, I'll let you guys do your thing. All right, bro. Hey, right. hey, Larry, sorry. Finish what you were okay. saying. I love it. I love it. A little uh, impromptu sesh there. Um, I think it's the kind of what a little bit of combination of what both you guys are saying. One is that UI is just so critical. And that is what you see. If you watch, you know, if you download one of the, the big Chinese shopping apps um, and you watch just what the user experience is, um, you'll notice that it's just so seamless. It's so easy just to click one button and then the thing's coming to your house, right? It really is that is that easy? And I think, you know, you were talking about, you know, the YouTube and, you know, yeah, they're doing it, but, and that's what's got to change, right? Is these platforms were native mobile from the day one, they were native shopping from day one. And so all those like little friction points that they, they just don't exist, right? It's very easy to do. And then uh, on the other side, yeah, it's just a massive trend there. And it will be interesting to see how it translates. It just, it makes sense that it will because Again, there's real reasons for brands to get behind this. And by the way, like brands that all of you know, our companies work with every day, they're actively doing this, this stuff, right? I mean, th this is not going to be new to them because China is such a big shopping market, right? And so all of the big brands have been figuring this out in China, you know, the big global brands. And so I don't think it'll be that much of a stretch. And again, the power will be, it really solves one kind of fundamental question, which is, is the content I'm doing with this creator or this brand or this company translating to sales? And the answer will be either yes or no, right? Because the, the data yeah. will be there. And so I think for that reason, it has a really good opportunity. Well, and I, I think too, I, you, you hit a really good point, Larry, in the sense that they try to retrofit a feature 
that it wasn't meant, it wasn't intended for that. And so I look at like the simplicity of UI design and knowing the viewing experience. That's why I, I literally will hedge my bets on TikTok, you know, because it's not that disruptive. It's not, it's not anything different than what they're currently doing. The only, only aspect is they're going to have a button pop up when they want to sell something and you're giving that content creator that opportunity to push something. And so it, it is more integrated than, oh, you got to download this app or you have to click on this button to get to this place to do this. Like, it's very awkward. You know, Facebook literally has a new feature every single day that no one ever uses because they don't, they just it's like, you know, feature overload. And I think simplicity at the end of the day will win uh, 100% of the time this war when it comes to who's going to win the e-commerce side of it. And, and I think TikTok, it, it, well, and there might be other software that could come up, but it, right now it looks like that's going to be the, the winner. It might open up the next wave of content. You know, we talked about decentralization of content, how that's what we've seen you know, in the last you know, 15 years. And it's happened in that time frame much faster than it has in the history of, of entertainment. Um, but I, I think there's a good chance with live streaming or when it comes to, you know, better ways of attribution that it, it's going to make it so that other competitors rise. And there's going to be not just a decentralization of content, but a decentralization of platforms. And, and so when it comes to, you know, sales and attribution, you know, that's, you know, us as a company, being a, we're in an AI entertainment business, you know, we have invested most of our resources into creating those predictive models with deep learning neural networks to build to look at all the data and build to build to not just predict views or clicks but predict cells. But one thing that we've been really investing in a lot is making sure that our that we have models in place that makes it so our AI can adapt to new platforms. Because as you mentioned, every platform is going to have a different type of content or a variety of types of content and. Um, you need to be able to make sure when you're going into a new, you know, um, platform with new types of videos that, you know, um, you adapt to how the natives look at that content. And it's funny that I say natives, but like the native content is just going to be different everywhere else. Just like when you work across the globe and you work across different countries, you have to be very sensitive to culture. That's the exact same thing when it comes to platforms. You got to be very sensitive to the community and the culture of that platform in order to be successful. And in the future, when we're all going to have to be using AI in order to be successful, working across millions and millions of different creators and to be able to understand what's out there, but also what to prioritize, you're going to have to make sure they have technology that is specific for that um, platform that you're working on. Yeah, that's right. Another platform we haven't talked about that we've been very successful on is Pinterest, and and part of that is um, part of that is our category, right? We're 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 perfect matchup for them in food, travel, home, and design, right? Those are key categories. Beauty is also a very big category on Pinterest. Our aesthetic really lines up with them. You know, we make beautiful stuff, and I think that's really celebrated on that platform. But the other piece, it's it's kind of what we talked about a moment ago, is it was a platform that was starting to embrace video. We got there early. We were, we were kind of the earliest, you know, so we, we now have probably more content on Pinterest than any video content than any other provider. And I know we're the most viewed as well. We've done, you know, I think in the last just 18 months, we had done like a billion views just on Pinterest that's alone. Amazing. And, and so that's a platform again, where I think people maybe haven't rushed to, because again, it's like, Oh shit, this is another, you know, um, another, another platform I have to go, you know, work on, or it's going to take more effort. But that was one we tested early. We were impressed with the engagement. 
And again, I think they will start to, they're perfect for live streaming commerce. You know, they haven't announced anything on that. But like when you, again, you think about who can compete in that space, I think they're a real, you know, a place that can really compete. Um, you know, the other, yeah. the other platform would be Snap, you know, Snap just launched Snap Minis. You know, that's a whole new way to think about Snap. And, and Ricky Ray, I know you're a fan of what's happening in China and, and, and working there. Minis are a huge thing, right? I mean, WeChat is the internet in China yeah. to a large yep. degree. And yep. minis are a way that people can stand up businesses. And so I think that's really thoughtful for Snap to embrace that. Obviously, they're paying attention to what's happening. And uh, I think that's an exciting way to enable creators or businesses to try to develop more sustainable business models on some of these platforms, which, as we all know, you know, is really needed. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm excited about the future of Snap, and and I'm I'm happy that they've had some really rough competition that they've had to deal with because it's going to force them to be even better. Um, Pinterest, you know, is 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 a platform that's been around for a while that's never getting the the spotlight. Um, but you know what I feel like they've done correctly is they've really always kept the lower funnel metrics in mind, and uh, when it comes to um, you know. I believe that one time they're 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 talking about doing rev shares or 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 um, um, incentivizing people you know to 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 drive sales on their platform, which I thought was you know really innovative at the time. For me personally, ever since Pinterest came out, like my 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 wife and my sisters, I know a lot of people that are just obsessed with Pinterest. For some reason, I don't know if it's just me and my personality and how I process imaging, etc. I get so lost on that platform. I immediately get a migraine. I, I go on there and there's just all this stuff happening and I can't stay focused. And, and so I've, I've gotten good enough where I can navigate so I can go check out my wife's, you know, um, pins. And so, cause that's how I, I choose her gifts. So uh, I, if I don't do that, she will never like a surprise that I get her. And so <laughs> I always see what she has listed and then I go and find it. And there so I'm really thankful for Pinterest when it comes to that. And now we've done some successful campaigns on Pinterest, but me personally, I have such a hard time using that platform. Maybe that's why TikTok's so good for you, right? It's just going to oh, choose, yeah. you know, in these short It's ADD. Yeah, it's perfect for his ADD, for sure. No, I, 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 think the, the, I think the point that I look at is, yes, you can have a very specific demo type of products that would engage with a certain way, and it's going to go every single time, and they're going to crush it in that, that certain way. But I'm more interested in what's the general audience? What's my, what is my, you know, my kids are going to do and their friends and where they're going to go? Because I can guarantee you they still send snaps as a way to communicate back and forth, but they're not on Snapchat. I, I know that seems really weird. It's like that's the way they communicate, but it's not they're like they're not devouring content that way. And so those eyeballs of where that general audience is going, I think everyone needs to pay attention. And right now it is TikTok. And I know I've been saying it time and time again, but I think that the elements of, of what makes TikTok what it is, is some of the elements that's missing some from these other platforms. It might've started out that way, but the essence that anyone can create, anyone can do, anyone can showcase you know, it's great. It's like, I, I had a son and in, uh, well, I still have a son, <laughs> but he's on TikTok. He's like, you know, I just got a million views on doing a backflip. So he did, you know, uh, we were living uh, in North Carolina, you know, for the summer because of COVID and stuff like that, just so we were closer to, to the client. And 
um, they just took a van home, uh, you know, about a month ago and they just kind of hit every state that they could and he did a backflip in every state. I mean, he got like, you know, 40,000 followers just off of that, you know, and it just like when, when someone can create something that they're passionate about and there's other people, (laughs) Oh, that was cool. Or that was engaging. That is where the true power is, is taking the person that's not a niche. It's just an average person, general person and giving them that type of power, that's something that you need to take uh, take note of for yeah. sure. And so, one thing to look at with TikTok as well is they've beat the first hurdle. Well, obviously, they're breaking all the records with growth, but Facebook was not able to replicate what they're doing. You know, Reels, you know, Reels has a lot of usage and there's a lot of excitement there. I, no one's excited hey, about Reels, dude. Make it Come on. Like, no <laughs> one is literally excited about hey, it. Yeah, I'm trying you- to be positive. I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> there might be some upside here. <laughs> But, but with that said, I, when, when, no, let me finish. When when Instagram came out with stories, that was a huge negative impact on Snap because in some ways they did it better than Snap. Yeah. They made it so you could swipe up. And, and so the question was before Instagram was coming out with Instagram Reels is how big of a difference is this going to, I mean, how big of a game changer is this going to be for TikTok? And what we found is that they were not a threat whatsoever for TikTok. If anything, they potentially inspired people to want to go check it out, you know, on, on the TikTok platform. But yeah, but like, t- take a look at what they did. They did something that the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Trust me, it was the dumbest thing ever. You have something that works. Stories is like one of the best engagements on Instagram. You have the highest click through rate. Why don't you just inter- interface that already and just make yeah. it a little bit different so that you're competing? You have just a different way to surf or, you know, to, to, uh, to find content and discover content, but no, they had to literally disconnect it and put it in a certain area. And then you're like, I don't even know what to do anymore on Instagram. I really don't. I don't know. IGTV stories. I don't know what to do. Yeah. It is a totally different. Go ahead, Larry. Go ahead, Larry. It is a totally different, uh, format. Um, you, 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 you ask the question, I don't know a single person, you know, that really loves reels. It only needs one person. His name is Mark. <laughs> <laughs> he can turn the dials to make it successful. Look, I mean, once you have the platform, the audience, as we know, the people who sit on the other side can make things successful, you know, if it makes sense to them. And part of, you know, part of what they're, they're balancing constantly is, how will this format monetize? I think that's why stories is so, I mean, stories is a great format, but that's in part why it's been so successful is because they're going to turn the dial on stories because there's a more natural monetization path than in feed. Like no one wants to run pre-roll in feed, right? And so you have to, you know, come up with different things. So that's a key driver for why things will be successful. And then the other is the demo and engagement. You know, if they're worried that, they're really losing younger people on Instagram. They, they got to do that. And by the way, it was, it was a fairly natural thing anyway, because a lot of the TikTokers were posting that content in, in, on Instagram anyway. Absolutely. So it's, it's not that big of a stretch. And it's fun. Really, I mean, this stuff is fun. So I think, you know, again, give, give people what they want. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think, sure. I think well, just the essence of it, of what they want is they want powerful tools to create. Like, that's what they don't get. It's not like the delivery mechanism, like TikTok, what it is, is a powerful editor. And well, that's what Snapchat was. It's like, here you have these filters and all this other stuff from there, but it's more about, 
giving them the ability to create like their algorithm that they have the AI editing system to get exactly with the music. That's what they love. It's like easy way to edit. And that's, that's what these, these companies aren't taking into consideration. They think it's just a, con, a, consu- a consumption thing, which it's not, it's a creation thing. Yes. And when you cater to those creators that they can create content easier and it's like, Oh no, that's like so lit because we were able to do on the beat and I didn't have to edit it. And it automatically went there. I mean, that that's, that's where they're missing the mark. I, yeah, it, I, I don't know. I just one thing that one thing that Larry, I mean, mentioned. I, I agree with a, a lot of that comes down to what does Mark want, and so even though real he's been wrong a lot. I can give you a full list of about two hundred pages of right there. But yeah, let me finish. Um, the thing is, is if you're a creator, you sh- and you want to grow your audience uh, and gain traction on Instagram, you should be uploading reels. I mean, you, you should be doing as many reels as possible because you're most likely in a positive way going to trigger the algorithm on Instagram. I'm just like, whenever they create a new feature, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram, whoever adopts that first could have some great upside. Now I agree with you. I don't think reels is even in the same universe as TikTok, Um, but Instagram needed to do it. This is how they stay relevant. They have to keep evolving like they have. And that's what's made Facebook last as long as they've lasted. And um, they, they, yeah, they got past yeah but it's more like, and this is just a, because they were able to do that. But with that said, you know, it's all about testing. Brands should test reels. They, I mean, like I mentioned this earlier with Instagram stories, we jumped on that immediately. And that was one of the best things for our business a couple of years ago, because Instagram stories had really high engagement and really high conversions. And they still do today. When we have an, an AI optimized campaign, we're averaging between a five and 15% click-through rate, you know, two years later. Yeah. And yeah, and, and so so it's one of those things where obviously I don't think the execution is gonna make it so Reels ever replaces TikTok or hurts TikTok. But the whole point of saying that is that TikTok had one of the biggest. Um, players in the industry or the biggest platform in the industry coming in and competing and TikTok was still able to stay relevant and strong. And that is amazing. No, I, I agree with that, but I'm just saying that I, there's a difference between copycatting someone and they did a great job. They, they copycatted Snapchat. That's great. They did a great job in that. And they beat Snapchat, which, which is great. The the difference is where's the money? Where is the money? Because at the end of the day, where does that pot, where does it go in their pockets? If you want the high quality creators to actually invest time, energy, and, and focus in creating content for it, you have to have a monetization play that's not a creator fund. It needs to be, sure. hey, the sky's the limit, grow your audience, engage with them. And that's where I think well, everything circles well, back to this. The, more, the money with stories, though, was that it was, they were the first ones to do a swipe up. And that right there immediately stimulated and, and, and put more resources into the influencer economy because brands could attribute success as a result. When before with Instagram, you had an image, but you could not click out. You had to click on a, prof, on a profile link. Um, but once they had the swipe up as a, a possibility, that's one thing that just naturally made a huge boost to, I'd say, the creator economy when it comes to Instagram. But I agree. Where is the money? Platforms now need to stop thinking about just consumers and brands, they need to start thinking more about creators and how creators can make more money. And, you know, I, I think, Larry, you probably have a lot of opinions on this. Yeah, I mean, that's creator. that's one of the amazing things that, you know, was, again, the premise of when we started the our company was obviously we, we kind of 
understood YouTube and understood, you know, that really defined video in 2012. We thought all these other platforms would emerge and really become distribution points for us. They have. But what, what is surprising still to this day is they haven't really figured out monetization for people who put content on their platforms. I mean, many of the platforms we just mentioned have no direct monetization schemes for the people publishing content to their platform. Now, you know, what our company did and what Ricky Companies does is we figured out how to live within the ecosystem and take advantage of that audience we have and delight brands um, by enabling them to connect with those big audiences we have. And that's largely done through sponsored content. At least that's what we call it. Could be called influencer marketing. Um, and so we've been able to actually do something, you know, quite effective, quite big, works for us, works for the brands. But the on-platform monetization, it's shocking that it's, you know, it's 2020. You know, I started the co my company in 2012, and this still hasn't really been figured out. Um, some platforms are better than others. You know, Snap with Discover, you know, by the way, Discover has grown very materially, and the users on Snap are watching things on Discover. Um, that is at least a place where they really did think through monetization for the content publishers or the publishers they were bringing on the platform. Um, but it's been surprising how these other platforms haven't quite really figured out. And what it speaks to is we are really, I mean, people don't want to hear this probably, but we are in inning one of kind of creative disruption, as you guys might call it, or the you know remaking of Hollywood or the remaking of content creation in a modern era. That's why we call ourselves a modern media business. But we are still at the very, very beginning of this. And it seems crazy because we've all been working on it for so long, but it really is the beginning. Um, and those platforms, right. to your point, are going to have to do that. And maybe live streaming shopping is the way it gets done, by the way. You know, what's funny about live streaming shopping, we just go back to it for a second, is, you know, the MCN concept totally exists in China around live streaming. Like it's a totally uh, important part of that ecosystem, which is just so funny to me, right? As you know, because we saw what happened in that ecosystem, but that's like a viable part of that ecosystem because there is sort of a middle layer that is translating how to, you know, make the commerce stuff work on live streaming for some of the creators or partners. Um, and so that was just one of the interesting things, but maybe that is one of the ways that, you know, the ecosystem balances a little bit where, you know, the, the, the creators or the people creating the content can, you know, really monetize directly on the platforms and really build big businesses. Well, I agree with you. And I, and, I, and I agree that this is the beginning. As exhausting as it's, as it's been in the last decade, <laughs> but, you, know, you know, pivoting and, and all the evolution that's had to happen, all the bubbles that have popped, you know, it, it is still really um, the beginning, which is very exciting. And um, it, right now, you know, I, I think it's even bigger than, than most people realize and most brands realize. Like there's literally millions of content creators that have very strong followings. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's some, in some ways too hard for, I think, the human mind to process. And that's why we've had to really invest in machine learning and deep learning, because there's really so much going on out there. And I love, you know, that, you know where you, you mentioned, you know, China, that how they have their MCN model. What's interesting about that is I believe most of them are starting to follow more of a taste-made model when it comes to like MCN, because there are networks that represent talent but I, I feel like most of the networks I met, they own all their content. Mm -hmm. um, like for example, Ms. Jia, who um, who's one of the biggest creators on 
on um, Douyin, I don't believe she actually owns her channel. Um, it's it's something that's owned by um, the network, and and she started out as an employee, and then you know became a face of, of some content. And so it's really going to be interesting to see the trends in the East coming to the West, but to see how big this gets because. A lot of you know what we're doing in the West specifically. The content is globalized, but we're now starting to see you know great pattern. I mean, some patterns and, and trends around localization, and it's just going to get bigger and more complex. And and to me, it's just it's just very exciting. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, as I think I mentioned earlier, you know, we create content in six or seven different languages. Um, everything from you know something that might be 10 seconds to you know a feature length documentary. Um, but we do that with, frankly, many creators that we learned you know met in the early days of creating TasteMade, who were you know maybe successful YouTubers and built relationships with them over time, and then help. They've been helping us build our company in different parts around the world, whether it's Brazil or Argentina or Indonesia or Japan or, you know, uh, UK, you know, out of London, we have a studio in London. And so it's, we've really built an ecosystem that enables us to create, you know, truly native. I think you mentioned it earlier, Ricky Ray, native content. And what native means on these platforms is we got to figure out all these different formats. But if you're going to do it in a company, you know, a country like Brazil, I mean, one fun fact you got might like is in Brazil, the, the most liked Anything in the country of Brazil is Neymar, the famous soccer player, right? That makes total sense. But like the 10th most liked anything, brands, company, whatever, in Brazil is Tastemade. And that was, that was only made possible because we were able to get on that platform early. We were able to get on that platform with formats that we knew that worked. And then more importantly, we didn't create content from the United States and try to export it to Brazil because we had no clue. That wouldn't be smart. We, you know, started with a really small team in Brazil and that's now become a, a bigger team and they create native formats, original content from that market out of our studio in Sao Paulo um, for that audience. And that's been kind of the secret to our success. But that also speaks to what's so different about this opportunity versus, say, television, right? Television, it used to be like, if I'm going to distribute my network, I got to go cut a deal with Comcast on the eastern seaboard, Right. Today, when we put a piece of content live on YouTube or one of these other platforms, it's available to 220 countries and territories. And that's one of the fundamental things that's different, I think, about this moment in time. And it's, it's more complex, but it speaks to also just how big the opportunity is for you know, companies like ours or companies like yours who are solving these problems globally. Well, Larry, thank you so much for your time today. Um, we we have one question we ask all our guests. It's like, where do you see the industry going the next two to three years? Like, wh what are you the most excited about? Like, when you're when you're talking with your partners and you're strategizing, where are you the most excited? Yeah, we spent a lot of today talking about platforms and social. The other big trend that we're very excited about is 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 streaming television. Um, you know, one of the things that we did about two and a half years ago was we launched a streaming 24-7 linear network on YouTube TV. So we were one of only three kind of non-traditional networks that launched on that platform. We've gone on to launch that on, you know, pretty much every major platform in, in the U.S. So whether it's on SVOD platforms like Hulu or Amazon Prime or more traditional pay TV cable, you know, platforms like DirecTV or Comcast. 
And then there's now a merging of a lot of free platforms like Roku and Samsung that really have big and engaged audiences. And so we're across all of those with kind of a, you know, something totally native to streaming television, which is a 24-7 linear streaming network that features a lot of the great talent that we discovered along the years on social. Um, it's for a younger audience because, you know, again, more, more people watch um, more traditional, um, the more traditional contents watched by older people. And so that's, these worlds are merging and that's, you know, kind of again, why we started the companies. We thought these two worlds would collide and birth new brands, new networks. And that's what we felt like we were building or have been building over the years. And it's exciting for us now to see these two things collide in this way, because I think that's what the opportunity is. Well, thank you so much, Larry, for your time. Um, and definitely a big fan for sure. You guys can see uh, the in either in the show notes or in the description of the video, like some links to Taste Made all over the world. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And Ricky, it's always a pleasure, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think on the next video, we got to debate more, though. Oh, okay, we, 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 we like that's always a given, dude. Like every single time, that's a given. I'm ready. I feel like we were kind of close there for a second. We were too <laughs> nice to each other, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always game. It was really fun to chat with you guys, and you're both so smart about what's happening in the industry, and it's such a great forum. So I appreciate the time. Well, well Larry, you're the legend. Thank you so much for joining us, and um, we'll, we'll be talking again soon. Thank you. Bye, everybody.